Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Freedom Caucus podcast coming to you from Washington, D.C. I am Jody Heiss, your host. We are thrilled to have you with us today. Thank you so much for joining us for another episode that I believe is going to be in a, a very exciting program. I mean, I'm thrilled with the guests we're going to have joining us here in just a few moments. Let me just kind of set it up by this way. As you all know, the Freedom Caucus is only a few years old. But in reality, there have always been individuals, and from that perspective, groups of individuals who have been willing to challenge their leadership and challenge whoever was necessary in order to uh, try to make bad policy better and to try to ultimately create better legislation. Uh, I'll give you an example. Let's go back to the 1990s. Bill Clinton was president. He's in the White House. Newt Gingrich was Speaker of the House. Uh, and although there were many strong conservatives, if you will, still the House Republicans needed to do everything they could to try to ensure that conservative policy was actually being enacted. And so you had at that time a handful of people, probably a dozen or so, people like future Freedom Caucus members, Matt Salmon, Mark Sanford, uh, individuals like that who banded together to try to stave off legislation that was coming from the left and from the liberal Clinton administration. Even the Democrats had their own group of people who, uh, certainly not by our standards, but were considered conservative blue dog Democrats. They there were a, a group of them that actually held up Obamacare for months because of the abortion provisions that uh, that were included in the Obamacare. So, uh, you know, obviously they eventually caved to Nancy Pelosi and the left, but they were there. My point is there has always been individuals who worked with other individuals to make a difference, even in the Senate that took place. I, I think of conservative hero Tom Coburn from uh, the Senate. He was actually known as Dr. No because he would always try to step in the way to stop bad policy from moving forward through the Senate. In fact, he actually had what, at least I don't remember if it was him or others, it referred to it as the waste book. He'd come up with it annually. It was just a, a, a book, a list of things that highlighted wasteful government spending. And, and so you had people like that. Now, working with him, um, and of course, Coburn was both in the House and then moved to the Senate. And he had a, a cohort, if you will, someone who worked with him both in the House and in the Senate. I'm talking about Jim DeMint. Jim DeMint is our guest today. From 1999 to today, I will, be, I will say this unreservedly. From 1999 to today, if there has been a conservative fight in Washington, Jim DeMint has been a key player either on the front line or a key player behind the scenes. He is absolutely no stranger to fighting his own party when it deals with issues that he believes in. In fact, he actually voted against President George W. Bush's signature policy, no child left behind, you remember that. DeMint also fought uh, the Medicare Part D. He was a driving force behind ending congressional earmarks. 
All right, with no further ado, I want to go ahead and just give a, a little more specific details of Senator DeMint. I think most of you know him well, but uh, he, of course, represented South Carolina in the House of Representatives from 1999 to 2005, and the Senate from 2005 to 2013. And uh, at that time, he left to become president of the Heritage Foundation. Uh, in 2017, he left Heritage and founded the Conservative Partnership Institute, which we're going to talk a little bit more about here in just a moment. He serves as chairman of that great organization. He's the author of several books, including most recently, Falling in Love with America Again. Great, great title. He and his wife, Debbie, have been married for 45 years. They've got four children. Senator, I cannot tell you what an honor it is to have you on the Freedom Caucus podcast. Welcome. Jody, thank you, and, and thank you for what the Freedom Caucus does. And one more important detail about me is I have five grandchildren now. So wow. that's, a, as someone told me, the only thing in life that's not overrated. Oh, I tell you, well, I have four of them, and I could not agree with you more. It's just the most incredible thing in the world. So that's great. Are they close by? Yeah, they're close to where we are in uh, Greenville, and so we can, uh, three are in town and the others are driving distance, and that's what keeps me in the fight up here, it really is just does. realizing that uh, we need to make some changes or their life might not be as uh, good that's as right. ours. I, we are in the fight of our life for this country, and, and the fight for our children, our grandchildren has never been more real than it is right now. Let's let's start, Jim. You, you've served both in the House and the Senate you're, you're one of the few that have had the, the privilege of serving in both chambers. I, what, can you take a moment, just share with our listeners a little bit of the similarities, the differences uh, between the two, how they work, how they don't work, yeah. whichever the case may be? No, it's it's a good question, and, and they are very different. I, I remember being in the House, we would often say, if, if they don't need your vote, they don't want your opinion in the House, because as one person, it just didn't matter. And uh, the leadership drove things. Um, and when I was here, earmarks were big. The whole year just seemed to be buying people's votes for different uh, bills uh, based on taking home money for bridges and roads and things. But um, we did tend to travel more as a group or as a pack in the House. Um, and I actually have more affinity for the House when people call me senator. I, I say I'd rather be called a congressman just just because I think there were more friendships and more, more times where we decided to do things together. The Senate was different. I think that's kind of surprising because the Senate is a smaller body. It I is a smaller body. A lot of people body. would think there'd be more friendships. Well, well, there were friendships for a while until I decided I didn't want to keep going with the status quo. Right. And once that changes everything. And you felt the the pain over here too. You you think they all love you until you try to change the status quo, and and you try to remind them that we all ran on a platform of we we do need to balance the budget. We can't take on any more debt. The government's too big. But a lot of folks seem to forget it when they get, get get here. Now, in the Senate, it was more fun as an individual in the sense that you, you couldn't necessarily pass something by yourself, but you could stop bad things or slow them down as an individual. And if you could get five or ten uh, senators to stand together, you, you could really muck up the works. And when, when I came, um, you know, uh, Bush was here at first, and then uh, uh, Obama was elected, and... I knew when, when that happened, we weren't going to be passing good legislation. But I did have a chance to, to what I realized, Jody, and you've realized it now as part of the Freedom Caucus, is you can't do anything by yourself up here, right. even if you're Speaker of the House. That's exactly right. And, and I just realized that 
if we were going to get rid of earmarks, we needed to start in the Republican conference. And we'd had great people like Tom Coburn talk about earmarks, even John McCain. And no one minds as long as you just talk about it. Right. But when you decide you're going to do something about it is when people get riled up. What I did is I got a simple little letter to Mitch McConnell that said when we convene after the 2010 elections um, in January that we would vote to change the rules of the Republican conference that we would not accept earmarks. I couldn't get it passed on the floor, but I can always get a vote in the Republican conference. And I had supported a lot of people like Pat Toomey and Mike Lee and all of them who came in said they would sign that letter. And the only way we got rid of them was get half of the Republican conference to sign that letter. And we just had one more than half. And it, it, it changed things to get people to sign their name together. The same thing eventually happened on a big amnesty bill that um, you know, George Bush was pushing. It was, uh, there were only two or three senators that, that wanted to stop it, and it didn't seem like we had a chance. That's when I learned if you take your message outside uh, and you get people calling in and you get on radio talk shows all across the country, if you, get, if, if you win the battle on the outside, then you can move the people on the inside. And so what I saw, Jody, is you can move the dial here, but you've got to get folks to agree to stand together. And that's why I think Freedom Caucus is so revolutionary. We, we tried to do that in the House. We would move around in packs a little bit, but sometimes when the pressure got heavy, people would just head for the hills and you'd find yourself standing there with two or three others. So standing together is key, but the House and the Senate are, are different in that an individual can play a bigger role in the Senate. But right now, I think because of the Freedom Caucus, the Re Republican conservative message is probably going to be set more by the Freedom Caucus than by the Republican Party. I, I, I totally agree with you. And you, you brought up a, a couple of very important things that I'd like to circle back around and, and spend a little bit more time with. Uh, the earmarks. Uh, you were pretty much responsible for, for that legislation and the amnesty, too. I mean, you mentioned two huge things that happened. And I look at where we are now. And I, if, if and you are, you're speaking to me, but say you've got a group of congressmen here, representatives, and we're in the battle as we are. What would you say? I mean, we are in process of trying to influence legislation and make it better mm -hmm. on the one hand. On the other hand, we're trying to stop or thwart bad legislation from coming down. And I don't know of anybody that's been more effective at both of those than you. What would you say to somebody like me or say there's a room of us in here? What would you say to us that, that we can learn from your experiences? Well, I, I don't claim any particular credit, uh, but I, I do know you have to decide, first of all, you're in a fight. And... Not not in an uncivil way necessarily, but we're fighting for the soul of our country, and, and I think the people on the left understand that a lot better than the leadership in the Republican Party. And there's kind of a sense a lot of times of why don't you get along and work together? But the left is pushing hard, and they're going to they're going to they're going to beat us if they can. The the best allies we have are outside, and when we can get a message outside to them of what we stand for as conservatives and hopefully as Republicans. We can get them engaged, get them calling and writing and stuff. It, it can make a huge difference, even if we lose. And that's where I think Republicans go, the Republican leadership 
is bad. If they don't know that you can win, they don't want to do the fight. Exactly. But sometimes it's the fight that makes the whole difference, is to show that you believe what you believe. And that's what hurt, I think, the party and the majority last time. It's not that we lost. It's like we didn't try. We didn't really do everything we could, as we saw the left do on Obamacare, for instance. I mean, 70% disapproval, and they all voted for it. A lot of them lost their election. Because right. they believe in socialism. They really believe that stuff. So what I would tell congressmen is, first, if it, I was talking to the Freedom Caucus, thanks for standing together. It's hard to sign your name, join a group where you say, if 80% of you agree to do something, I'm going to join even if I disagree. But that creates such leverage. And even in, if, when you're in the minority, which re- conservatives are usually in, in the minority, even if the Republicans That's are right. in charge. But... Uh, and. But if you can stand together, what I've, I've said, the most relevant group in, this, in the House and the Senate right now, collectively, is the Freedom Caucus, because they can stand together. They're more powerful than any small group of senators. They're actually more powerful than the leadership. And now the key is to send a message to the country about what are the policies that can make this country better and that we're willing to stand and fight for it. Even if we get abused by the leadership and the Wall Street Journal, let's fight. And when people say you don't have a chance to win, my best line is, what chance did those guys have who signed the Declaration of Independence? We got a better shot than they did. Hey, that's a great point. <laughs> and you know, it's interesting how you you took the battle to the American people. And I think that, uh, you know, I mean, we have our different media outlets that, that all of us are on. Uh, and, and yet, really, that's what we're trying to do with this podcast and reach out to other avenues of television and radio and so forth. Because we, we understand we have got to take this message, conservative message, to the American people. Uh, because, as you said, our leadership's not going to do so. Uh, and if, if, um, if a group like the Freedom Caucus doesn't stand up and start proclaiming the conservative message, who will? Yeah. And uh, it's very interesting that you bring that up. Now, you've, you've started a few organizations, uh, different organizations. The Senate uh, Conservatives Fund, uh, while... Uh, while you were there with that, uh, it really changed the makeup of the Senate uh, to, to broaden the conservative base in the Senate. Uh, while you're at Heritage, uh, you guys helped the transition team of the Trump administration. And now you've started a new organization, the Conservative Partnership Institute, uh, which is just doing a spectacular job. But I don't know that a lot of our listeners know a whole lot about CPI. Why don't yeah. you take a a moment just to explain this and 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 what its uh, mission vision is. Yeah. Well, I appreciate the chance. I I was in the Senate, very frustrated, and I decided we were not going to fix the problems with the same people who caused them. And I started Senate Conservatives Fund, not knowing what would happen. And when I endorsed a Pat Toomey against a sitting Republican Senator Arlen Specter. Yeah, the, as you know, all the stuff broke loose then, and I found out who my friends were, and <laughs> and and. But you know, I, I, we we just put a pad on a website. This was just a website, and the contributions started coming in, and uh, we raised nearly a million dollars. Did wow. the same thing for Marco Rubio, Mike Lee. The average gift was under fifty dollars. Just thousands wow. of people all over the country would say, I can't do anything about California, but I can sure help elect uh, Mike Lee in Utah. And and I saw the power of just getting the message out. But what happened after that is I, once all these folks got here, 
some of them just kind of joined the swamp after right. a while. And, um, and that, it just really hurt to, to see all those people who were hopeful to get their hopes dashed because when you get here, there's no reward for being a conservative. And I don't think people understand that, that every time you behave as a conservative up here, there's likely some pain involved. And most people over time, reasonable people, are not going to keep hitting their head against the wall, and they're going to join in to wh whatever way the river's flowing. And it's hard to resist that. We started the Conservative Partnership Institute. It's all staffed by people who've worked in the House and Senate. They know how the place works. They've been in the arena. They've been tested. And, and to support conservatives inside Congress. That's the pitch I give to people. We're a nonprofit. We're, we're, we're going to help people get good staff. We're going to train their staff. We provide a place where you, you can get together uh, and develop camaraderie, hopefully develop consensus, and then try to leverage that with the House and the administration. And so this is a support system, and I believe it's just the missing piece. I mean, I've been at Heritage where they do research and policy work, but there's no shortage of information in Washington. That's not the problem. And you can go out and elect good people, but then a few years later you look and see there's only one or two still fighting and because the system can take your legs out. And you know how punishing it can be if for just being just trying to do what you campaigned on, nothing radical. The system tries to marginalize you. So hopefully the conservative partnership over time will build to something to be the anti-swamp where you know if you join the Freedom Caucus that people have your back, that we can get the outside groups to stand with you, not only on policy but in re-elections. And we can support groups like the House Freedom Fund that tries to go out and help the guys who need it who are doing the right thing. That's my commitment for the rest of my time. There are a lot of people who are trying to elect good people. Freedom Fund will do it, Senate Conservatives Fund, and I'm going to do everything I can to help them. But what I want to make sure happens is if you come up here and you try to do the right thing, that somebody's got your back. And that's what we're doing. At well, that's, that's a, and it's a, I can't tell you how valuable that is, Jim, because uh, uh, as you've alluded to, it, it doesn't take you long uh, around here to find out who your friends are and who um, your enemies are. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot more um, vicious critters in the swamp than there are friendly critters and you, you it takes it doesn't take too long to find that and to, to have an organization and uh, I mean you guys have been awesome to the Freedom Caucus and and you have done exactly what you just described let me ask you what may be a fairly uncomfortable question and then uh, uh, we're gonna have to start landing this a little bit but uh, I know just by your nature you're a very humble individual and yet you've done so much and you've been so effective in your personal uh, stance on issues as well as training others. But we look now at the Trump administration, tremendous accomplishments that have taken place in just over two years, from the economy to our military rebounding, and, and things people forget to think about, like the moving of the embassy to Jerusalem. I mean, there's just been a host of phenomenal accomplishments Looking at your role from from heritage, all these, how do you see that that you and the organizations you've started have been instrumental in some of these accomplishments that have taken place? Well, well, not just me. As I look at the Trump administration, I feel like he was elected by the remnants of the Tea Party. Folks out there, absolutely, who, they just they kept kept ramping it up, they, and and they finally they didn't know what Trump was going to do because he didn't seem to be philosophically conservative. But 
they were just ready for somebody who'd kick the doors down. And that's what it, it seemed like he would do. So I think he was elected, but not just by the things that I did, but a lot of us who had worked over the years to try to build the outside um, engagement of, of citizens. And I don't think he's disappointed. I really didn't know what to expect, but I, when we were at Heritage, there were a whole team of us who worked over two years to get ready for a conservative president. We didn't know who it would be. We thought maybe it'd be Ted Cruz or um, Marco Rubio or somebody like that, Rand Paul. Mm -hmm. <laughs> didn't think it'd be Trump. But as he started gaining momentum, all the work we'd done with policy, the names we collected to um, run to put up in, in the transition, you know, Trump was the one who would listen. When when I talked with him about Supreme Court judges, he right. he, he wanted to release a list of ten people, and he said, "Can you get me?" Yeah, a I list remember of that. He came to you guys. Yeah. yeah, and so I said, "Yes, sir, I'll get it." And he wanted it in two days. And you know, a lot of folks didn't want to give him a list, but we gave him a list working with the Federalist Society. And he's just been remarkably true to what he promised. And when I know you've been in meetings with him, but he's almost single-minded in the sense of somebody's trying to tell him he can't do something he promised. He'll usually oh, say, yeah. I promised. Mm -hmm. And that's enough for him. And I didn't expect it coming from him that he, he, he probably is more pro-life. He's probably more pro-Israel. He's probably more conservative than folks we thought were going to be conservative. But he interprets conservatism just as common sense. What's the best way to get something done? And that's really what it is. So I've been real um, impressed with him, and we worked hard to put good people around him. Um, I think the personnel office, after a few months, started bogging things down, and they resisted getting rid of a lot of the old um, Obama folks who were in the administration, and that's come back to bite them. But we got some good people around them, and some that we recommended that they didn't take, like Bolton and a few others, they've come back around and realized that these tough guys uh, and girls are more compatible with Trump who wants to get something done. And, you know, I like the fact that he's not looking at polls. And I saw some good presidents just follow the polls. Um, and that's not what he's about. So, uh, you know, God has a great sense of humor. And uh, I never thought Trump would be the one to do all these things. But he, from a policy perspective, probably been the best president of my lifetime so far. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree with you, and I was in the same camp. I, I, I didn't know him well enough uh, and didn't have the confidence that he would be conservative. Once he became our, our nominee, I was 100% on board. But I cannot tell you how uh, pleased. I mean, he has surpassed every hope that I had, and his commitment is to do what he said he would do, and that is so refreshing. In itself, Senator, I want to thank you so much for joining us on the the podcast today. I know our folks have enjoyed listening to you. I just want to personally and publicly again say thank you for all that you have done in the past and what you continue to do. That influence is far, far reaching, and there's many of us that owe a deep sense of gratitude to you. So thank you very much, Jody. That means a lot. It's very humbling. I just want to thank you for sticking together with these folks in the Freedom Caucus, standing with all these people around the country who still have hope that um, this country, we can turn this country around up here, and uh, we owe it to them to make sure that happens. We absolutely do. So thank you so much. And each of you listening today, we appreciate it so much. And again, as always, we encourage you to review this podcast on iTunes and always follow us on Facebook.com slash Freedom Caucus and on Twitter, at Freedom Caucus. 
So I hope you'll be able to join us again next week. Until then, I'm Jody Heiss. Glad to have you on the Freedom Caucus podcast. Have a great day.